Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of 400 kilogram sandals. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about Kinryuzan Sensoji, aka the Sensoji Kanon Temple, aka Asakusa Kanon, aka Sensoji. Mm-hmm. This is an ancient Buddhist temple located in Asakusa, Tokyo and is actually Tokyo's oldest temple, having been founded in 645 CE. Dang, that's old! Sure is. It's also an extremely popular tourist destination and spiritual site, attracting over 30 million visitors annually. Oh my goodness, dude, 30 million. That's like quarter of the Japanese population. That's like 10% of America's population, right? <laughs> Just about. It's also got the Nakamise Dori, a long shopping street that leads up to it, and there's a bunch of cool stuff there. Like, you could really just spend a couple hours looking around at all these shops there. Uh, The temple is dedicated to Kanon, a very important bodhisattva in Japanese Buddhism that we've talked about in several episodes before. Yeah, keeps coming back up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much time we're going to spend on Kanon specifically in this episode, because we've talked about her in depth before, but if you want to go back to episode 55, that's the one about Kiyomizu Dera, and we talked about her there. That's another temple dedicated to her. Yeah. Glossing quickly over. uh, Known to be compassionate, relieving of suffering, and answers prayers with benevolence. So very popular bodhisattva for those reasons and others. Yeah, one of the most popular. She's worshipped at thousands of temples. Mm -hmm. Paul, can you give us a quick primer on what a bodhisattva is? So bodhisattva is someone who is able to ascend to nirvana, but they stay back upon the earth to teach the rest of us. Yeah, they just want to help everybody else out. It's a pretty selfless act. Definitely. And historically, Kanon has taken on many different forms depending on the needs of the people. So she's kind of an all-purpose bodhisattva that people will pray to for almost anything. Any problem that you need help with, Kanon is there to help you out. Whenever we got a Temple or Shrine episode, I always look forward to the history section because, you know, there's going to be some good stuff. Yeah, they, a lot of times there's good legends about the origins of temples. So what's our origin story today, Jason? We got a good one. There's a good legend. So back in 628 CE, there were these two fishermen who were also brothers. They were brother fishermen. They got <laughs> brother. They, they fished for brothers? Yeah. They got those special brother hooks made specially for hooking brothers. <laughs> so what did I say? I said brother fishermen. Should we call them fishermen brothers? Is that clearer? Sure. I was just being dumb, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go with that. Fishermen brothers. We got Hinokuma Hamanari and Hinokuma Takinari. And they were fishing in the Sumida River, which flows right through Tokyo, just a few blocks from the temple's current location. Mm-hmm. And so they're out there fishing, and when they pulled in their net, there was a statue tangled in it. But they weren't fishing for statues, they were fishing for brothers, right? Brother fishermen. (laughs) Yeah. They were looking for fish. So they untangled the statue and threw it back into the river. They're like, catch and release this statue. (laughs) Oh, how kind of them. (laughs) (laughs) 
So they kept fishing. But every time they pulled in their net, there was the statue again. So they took this as a sign. They're like, something's weird. Something's going on here, right? So they decided, let's just take the statue back and, you know, we'll have the, the village chief take a closer look at it. So they show it to the village chief, Haji no Nakamoto. And he's like, you guys, this is no ordinary statue. This is Kano, and I recognize this, this Bodhisattva. This is like a super special statue. So what he decided to do was remodel his own house into a little temple, and he enshrined the statue there so that the rest of the villagers could come and worship Kanon. Mm-hmm. It's a fun story. That is a fun story. Imagine like throwing a statue downstream and then like paddling upstream and you catch the same statue. And they'd be yeah. like, what? It's creepy. Yeah. But this must be an important statue. Mm-hmm. So the temple was officially founded in 645, as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, a priest named Shokai came and built a hall for the Kanon statue, made it official. Following a revelation he received in a dream, Shokai decided to hide the statue from view. And since that time, it has never been unveiled. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. That's a pretty long time. And you Although know, it says that, but I do also have a note that uh, it was copied once. Really? Yeah. It always makes me wonder when they say, oh, yeah, we still got the statue from 1,400 years ago. Don't worry about it. Right, nobody nobody right. can see it, but trust me, it's there. It's the same one. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the story behind that. It's said that in the mid-9th century, the head priest of the Anrakuji temple, which is the main temple of the Tendai school of Buddhism, visited Sensoji. And while he was there, he created an identical statue to the main image of the temple. And this copy that he made is very rarely but sometimes shown in public. And then the original statue is never seen. Okay. So the original is still there. It wasn't like replaced with this copy. There's just no. a copy that they use for no. other things. Exactly. But if you ever see the statue there, you're seeing the copy, buddy. Even the head priest don't get to see the original statue. Yeah. Cool. So over time, the temple grew. And as temples often did, it burned down and was rebuilt several times. You know, things happen over the course of 1,400 years. In the early Edo period, Tokugawa Ieyasu, that guy. That guy. He's come up again. Mm-hmm, they, he was the first shogun in the Edo period, the Tokugawa shogunate. He designated Sensoji as the tutelary temple of the Tokugawa clan. And I had to look up that word tutelary. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, what does that mean? Apparently, it means he basically like claimed that temple for the clan, saying, like, Kanon is our patron deity. This is where we're praying to her. She's watching over us because we're important and awesome. And, like, this is where our clan offers our prayers to Kanon. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, the Tokugawa shoguns after him kept visiting Sensoji fairly regularly as well. Mm-hmm. At the... End of the 18th century through the beginning of the 19th century, Edo developed into 
one of the largest cities in the world. And Asakusa specifically kind of became the cultural center of Edo. So all surrounding and around this temple was theaters, restaurants, all the culture stuff you'd go to. It was just a very prominent place. During World War II, the temple was bombed and destroyed on March 10th, 1945. It was rebuilt as a symbol of rebirth and peace. And actually, in the courtyard there, there's a tree that was hit by a bomb in the air raid, but a new tree has regrown there inside the husk of the old tree. So that's considered a symbol of rebirth as well. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So I was thinking, doing the research on this, this is one of those episodes that really, really has hammered home the point to me of like, I need to do more research before I take my vacations because I've been here and there's so much stuff I just learned that like I missed. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I'll just go walk around there and see it. Cool. But oh man, I missed so much stuff like that. I don't remember seeing that tree. Exactly. Do you remember seeing that tree? Not at all. And knowing what it meant, you know, like that's so cool. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff like that. Right. I have a bunch of pictures from Sensoji. Like I was just walking kind of around the main hall and it's like, oh, there's this other kind of mini temple thing here with these statues. I don't know who those are. What yeah. are those? Yeah. You know? There, there's a ton of stuff around this temple. Like the grounds are really big and you yeah. kind of got to look around a little bit because there's a lot to see. I feel like knowing the history and the context behind something makes it so much more meaningful to see. Otherwise, it's like, oh, cool, another little building, you know, like, doesn't mean anything to you. Exactly. Well, hopefully, you know, if we have listeners that are visiting, they'll be able to listen to this episode as they're walking around, and we can guide them to all the fun places you got to check out. All right. If you insist, let's do a walkthrough. I do insist, Paul. All I right. think that's exactly what we should do. Here we go. Where do we want to start, Paul? Let's just assume you're going to arrive at Asakusa Station because that's the easiest way to get there, right? That's a good place to start. And it's easy to get to Asakusa Station. Mm-hmm. So let's say you exit the station, you're facing north. And if you look right, you're going to see that Sumida River. That's where they found the Kanon statue in that legend. Yep. And then if you look left, that would be west. If you walk that way a couple blocks, you're going to find the entrance to the temple. And it's going to be very hard to miss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're going to see Kaminarimon. It is the Thunder Gate. It is a huge gate. Yeah. Bright and colorful. You can't miss it. There's a giant paper lantern in the middle that's pretty famous and striking. That lantern is a symbol for the temple. It's even used as a symbol to represent Tokyo itself. Mm-hmm. That's how iconic it is. I actually saw it on the TV when I was at a restaurant just like last week because they were doing like highlights of the Olympics. Yeah. And there was just like a focus on that, on that lantern for a Let's minute. just show them famous places around Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. And I really love that name, both in English and Japanese. Kaminarimon is just fun to say. Yeah. <laughs> and Thundergate just sounds really cool. You know? I know. That's so cool. So a quick little history about that gate specifically here. The first Kaminarimon was built in 941 CE 
by a military commander named Taira no Kinmasa, uh, but it's been destroyed several times over the years. You know how that happens. Uh, the current one was built in 1960, and it stands 11.7 meters tall, which is about 38 feet tall. Yeah, that's big. And just about as wide. It's 11.4 meters or 37 feet wide. So it is a, a prominent feature on that street. One thing that I remember that's really striking is there's huge statues of Fujin, the god of wind, and Raijin, the god of thunder. Yeah, and if you walk around and look at the backside, there are actually two more statues. There's the Buddhist dragon god Tenryu and the Buddhist dragon goddess Kinryu, who are both considered deities of water. Because in Japanese folklore, as we've learned from the stories that Paul read, dragons are related to water in Japanese mythology. Yep. And about that, that big lantern, got a little bit of info about that. The lantern itself is 3.9 meters tall. That's almost 13 <laughs> feet tall. That's so big. And Paul, did you see how much it weighs? 400 kilograms. 700 what? kilograms. Even more than the sandals? We haven't got to the sandals yet. We'll <laughs> yeah. get to the sandals. The sandals are cool too. But yeah, 700 kilograms or 1,500 pounds for like a hollow lantern. That's crazy. I mean, it's crazy that this old wood structure can even support the thing. <laughs> yeah. And they fold it up for ceremonies and right. matsuri so they can carry things underneath it. Mm -hmm. But you can walk underneath it. Right. And there's a carving on the bottom side of it, and it's beautiful. So you'll see, you'll walk up there, and you'll see people just stopped under the lantern, just looking up, and you'll be like, what are these people doing? They're staring at the carving. Yeah, and that dragon carving on the bottom is actually the only permanent part of the lantern, because the frame and the paper on the lantern has to be replaced every 10 years. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect paper to last, I mean, 10 years, that's great. Yeah, that's a long, that's a durable lantern. So on the front of the gate, it says Kaminarimon, and then on the back, it says Furaijinmon, which is the official name for the gate. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned those dragon statues on the backside. Yeah. I thought those were kind of interesting because those two were both donated in 1978 to commemorate the 1350th anniversary of the first appearance of Kanon at Asakusa. Oh, wow. That's the anniversary of when those brothers fished out the statue. And the statues were carved by a 106-year-old master sculptor named Hirakushi Denshu. What? That's wild. Can you imagine being 106 years old and carving these things? No. That's pretty cool. That's a cool legacy to leave behind, you know? That's awesome. Dude. So we're getting kind of close to the 1,400-year anniversary then. 2028, yeah. right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I bet there's going to be a party. Probably. So with these four statues on this gate, altogether you have the deities of wind, thunder, and rain, or water. And this makes sense because historically the Shinto deities were based on natural forces or mountains or nature-y things, right? Yep. So people prayed to these deities to protect them from natural disasters. That's why this Kaminarimon is so important. You know, there were times in Tokyo's history when all the buildings were made of wood, so big fires were a big problem. 
So that's why it's called the Thunder Gate. I still love that name. If I ever have a gate anywhere, I'm naming it the Thunder Gate. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. You got a little white picket fence in front of your house and a little door that opens. Oh, that's the Thunder Gate. When you get here, don't worry. Just open up the Thunder Gate and walk on up to the door. Don't leave the Thunder Gate open. The dogs might get out. (laughs) Okay, so you've checked out the Kaminarimon. Once you pass through the Kaminarimon, you're going to see a bunch of shops. 89 of them, to be exact. And this is the Nakamise Shopping Street, one of the oldest shopping streets in Japan. Paul, did you hear about when the Nakamise Shopping Street started? I believe it was in the 1700s. I saw it was in the 1600s. What? Apparently, at that point, Sensoji gave the locals permission to open shops in front of the temple if they agreed to keep the temple grounds clean. Okay, okay. And this Nakamise isn't a, uh, a unique thing for temples. A lot of temples around Japan have these types of things. It's a place where you can buy souvenirs and snacks and all sorts of things. And just since this is such a famous temple and such a popular tourist attraction, it has a very big and famous Nakamise street. Yeah, the street's over 200 meters long, just lined with shops. Very touristy in a way, you know, crowded, a lot of the same stuff you can buy at other shopping streets in touristy areas. So pro tip, if you're in a hurry or you're tired of the crowds, there's some smaller alleyways that run parallel to the Nakamise that you can take to get up to the main temple complex and avoid the crowd. You could do that. But then you'd be missing out on all those specialty street foods. I know. I'm 100% going because I'm going to eat something. I'm going to eat something. Definitely. I had some mitarashi dango there. I had some black sesame ice cream there. What? That sounds so good. It was good. They have a bunch of snacks that you can take home for souvenirs like senbei, which are rice crackers. They sell postcards. They have clothes whether you want to get like a souvenir t-shirt or maybe you want to bring home a kimono they have kimono shops too if it's a hot day you can get one of those folding fans and cool yourself off yeah those can be nice they have specialty shops for chopsticks a lot of good souvenirs there oh yeah i'm, I'm going just for the food you know and i'll probably buy a couple things anyways as i walk by i think last time i was there i got a little fridge magnet that's like a ninja star. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's like half of a ninja star, so it looks like it's stuck in the fridge. You yeah, know? that one's cool. I was wondering where you got that. <laughs> uh, Nakamise, all right, cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's say you're getting to the end of the Nakamise. Now you're going to see another massive gate, the Hozomon, which is the treasure house gate. The Hozomon is spectacular. It's going to stop you in your tracks. You're going to gape. You're going to look up. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Uh, It was originally built in 1942 by, guess who? Same guy who built the Thunder Gate. (laughs) No way. Taira no Kinbasa. Cool. So this one is actually a two-story gate. And the reason it's called the treasure house gate is because that second story contains a bunch of Sensoji's treasures. 
including a copy of the Lotus Sutra and a complete collection of Buddhist scriptures. Wow, that's impressive. A complete collection? <laughs> that's wow. what it said. I bet that stuff's so old. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah, this stuff is really special, so you're not going to get to go up to the second story. Check that out. But there is some cool stuff to see at the bottom as well. You're going to see two statues, three lanterns, and two giant sandals. Now, I want to talk about these statues for a second. These statues are of Neo, which are two guardians of the Buddha, Mm -hmm. and they are fierce-looking dudes. They got those black leather trench coats, surprisingly modern-looking sunglasses, and they're carrying fully automatic machine guns. Right, Paul? Not how I remember it. Isn't, I mean, Morpheus sent them there to guard the Buddha. Oh, I see what happened here. I see. It's the other kind of Neo. Oh, oh man. I feel so dumb. (laughs) It's 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 the same word. It's okay. Okay. But for real, (laughs) these are really big and muscular, angry looking guys. Yes. No black trench coats. That was a joke. Don't be afraid, though. They're there to guard from evil. You're okay. You're good. Yeah, they're on your side. Yeah. So you can actually find these guys, the same Neo-type statues at many temples in Japan. And this gate is also known as the Neo Gate because of them. Makes sense. So, Paul, it sounded like you were excited about those sandals. What do you got to tell us about those? Yeah, so you get to the backside of the gate. And you're going to see two waraji, which are straw sandals, except they're four and a half meters long, one and a half meter wide, made of straw, and they weigh 400 kilograms each. Those are big sandals. (laughs) Massive sandals. Who can wear those sandals? Uh, Not me. I have big feet, but not quite, uh, not quite that level. Even if you put the sandals side by side, squished together, your legs wouldn't stretch out far enough to be in both of them, you know? <laughs> and that giant thing wouldn't even fit between your toes. The thing, you know, the uh, thong part of it. Definitely not. The thong's <laughs> probably wider than your foot. Yeah. So I actually mentioned these types of things in a previous episode when we talked about Kamakura and... We talked about the giant Buddha in Kamakura, the Daibutsu. And I thought that they were big because they were for that giant Buddha, you know, the big statue. But I was wrong. Do you know what they're for, Paul? Well, I know that traditionally, Waraji, these traditionally made straw sandals, were donated to temples as an offering for healthy feet and protection on journeys. Yeah, I saw that they are used as a charm for tireless endurance in walking. So you can go up to them and touch them to get more endurance, which is perfect if you're a tourist in Japan and you're doing a whole ton of walking. Yeah, you're walking 10 miles a day, seeing everything. You need you need to touch the sandals. Mm-hmm. Tireless endurance, I like that. Touch the sandals, you get tireless endurance. Yeah. So now you're inside the main grounds of the temple complex. What's the first thing you want to do, Jason? Well, I would say you should probably stop at one of the Omikuji stands that are going to be 
on either side of you. Okay. So this is a place where you can pay 100 yen to get your fortune. And I should mention we talked all about temples and the etiquette of visiting temples. And we talked about Omikuji in episode 9. Mm-hmm. It was all about temples and shrines. So you can go back and check that out for a little more in-depth in look into how this stuff works. But basically the idea is there are these little containers full of sticks. Each stick has a number on it. You shake the container and there's a little hole in the container that a stick pops out of. So when a stick pops out, you look at the number on there. You're going to match it up with a drawer. They have you know a whole set of drawers. You open the drawer, you pull out your fortune. And you find out if you're going to have a good time or if you're going to, you know, like die right away. If you're going to just drop dead of a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I remember doing that when I went to Sensoji. I think that was the first time I ever did that. I got bad luck there. Oh, no. Did you, you remember? I, I think I got like moderately good luck. Okay. I was like slightly positive. That's lucky because I actually read that at this specific temple, the Omikuji are rumored to have a high rate of misfortune. Oh. Yeah. But don't worry if you get a bad luck fortune because there is something you can do to fix that. Right, Paul? Yeah. You leave the bad fortune behind. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your little fortune and you're going to attach it to a wall of metal wires and leave it behind you at the temple. Yep, got to make sure that bad luck doesn't follow you home. So I heard the reason that the custom came about is more Japanese wordplay. Because you oh. know Japanese like their puns. They sure do. So when this first started, people would tie them to pine trees. Because the word for pine tree, matsu, sounds the same as the verb to wait, which is also matsu. Even though they're written differently. But they sound the same. So it's a joke. Like, oh, I put it on the pine tree. It's gonna, my bad fortune is going to wait here at the pine tree instead of following me home. Interesting. I never knew the reason behind that, but that's awesome. At a lot of temples, they even still do have actual trees that you tie the fortunes to as well. Yeah. And if the uh, fortune's good, you have a couple options as well. Apparently, if you tie off a good fortune, it heightens the effect of the fortune. But you can also keep it with you as like a personal good luck charm too. Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking of charms, if you want to get even more lucky, Right by the Omikuji, there are also these little stands where they're selling charms, and they have them for all sorts of things. If you want to do better in school, or you want to be safer when you're driving, or if you want to be lucky in love, you can buy charms for all this stuff that you can bring home with you and like tie it to your bag or whatever. Yep. They got a bunch of charms almost for every occasion. Mm-hmm. Also in this area, right in front of the main temple building, there is a purification fountain. And I'm going to, again, refer you to episode 9, because there's a specific way you're supposed to use the fountain. But the idea is that there are these ladles that you're supposed to scoop up some water, you rinse your hands, and that purifies you before you approach the main building. Yep. The fountain here looks pretty spectacular, too. Yeah. So once you've washed your hands, are you pure enough to approach the uh, the, the temple, Paul? 
You could, but I wouldn't want to pass up the Jokero if I were you. Agreed. What is that? So as you approach the main temple building, you're going to see a huge incense burner. It, it almost looks like this big cauldron. Yes. Right? It's like full of ashes and there's going to be like bundles of incense sticking up out of the ash that are burning. Mm-hmm. And this smoke is actually supposed to help your wounds heal faster. So you'll see people like wafting the smoke over them to try to make themselves all healthy. Yeah, so waft it over your wounds or your sore parts and it will help help you feel a little better. Mm-hmm. Maybe get your feet up there. If they're, if they're tired, you got to go touch yeah, the touch Wiraji the sandal. <laughs> and then go stick your feet in the incense smoke. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Waft the smoke. Waft the smoke to your feet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't want to be sticking your foot, you know, into the, into the Joker road, but make sure to get some of that smoke on there is all I'm saying. All yeah, I'm saying. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so now you're ready to approach the main temple building, right, Paul? Mm-hmm. The Hondo, the main hall. I like all these names. <laughs> the Hondo. Yeah. So this one has another massive lantern hanging in front of it that you will notice. And if you walk up the steps under the lantern, you can look into the building. They have this big elaborate setup. There's a lot of gold in there. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. But you won't see that sacred Kanon statue, of course. We talked about how that was hidden from view ever since 645, right? Yep. I saw that it is actually kept in a mini temple with multiple locks on it. So not even the chief priests have ever seen it. Like, no matter how important you are, if you work at this temple, if you're the main guy at the temple, you still aren't allowed to see that statue. It's just too sacred. Yeah, and the miniature temple is right inside the main hall. Like, it's right in there. Locked up a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But something you will be able to see are these two masterpieces of calligraphy by Noguchi Seko, one of the three best calligraphers of the Edo period. Mm-hmm. Another top three list from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so these are old, old calligraphy scrolls, I guess, huh? Yeah. And they're hung on either side of the offering box. I don't remember seeing those. I'll have to look for those next time. So I saw a picture, and they're stunning. Yeah? They're written in gold on a black background. Oh, that sounds awesome. And it looks super cool. Nice. Did you see what they say? I'm sorry, Paul. I failed you in my research. (laughs) Do you know what they say? No. (laughs) I'm I'm asking you. Like, uh, I, I heard like what they quoted from, but I didn't see the translation. Okay. I do know that it's a quote from Hanjusan, which was written by Shantao, who was an influential writer of the Pure Land School of Buddhism during the Tang Dynasty in China. And they express the compassionate mind of the Bodhisattva Kanon, who treats everyone equally with benevolence. Well, that's my excuse, Paul. It's a Chinese thing. This is a podcast about Japan. Okay. That's why we couldn't find it anywhere. We weren't doing research on China. Falls outside the scope. (laughs) I don't feel bad about not having that info. Yeah, I couldn't find it either. So I was just hoping you did. Uh, So there's an offering box in front. You're going to throw some coins in there and pray. And they recommend 
that what you're going to want to say when you put your hands together is Namu Kanzeon Bosatsu, which means I place my trust in Bodhisattva Kanon. I know you say you're going to say that, but it's even better if you chant it. Mm. It's been a while since I've chanted. <laughs> Namu Kanzeon Bosatsu. Namu Kanzeon Bosatsu. Now our prayers will be answered. Thanks, Kanon. So gracious. Such a loving bodhisattva. Very merciful. Another interesting thing about this building is that even though it looks really traditional and old, Paul, did you know it has a titanium tiled roof? What? Yeah, isn't that cool? That is super cool. It's pretty modern. I I remember, I think in the uh, episode we did about architecture, we talked about those tile roofs, and titanium is a pretty recent thing for that, but it's, of course, a lot more durable than the old clay ones they were making. They're thinking long-term. They're Mm -hmm. like reading their history. They're like, we rebuilt this thing five times. Let's build it right this time. Mm -hmm. So now you've seen the main part of the temple, but as we mentioned, there's so much more to see around the area. Uh, We talked many times before about how before the Meiji Restoration in 1868, Temples and shrines weren't considered like separate things. They were kind of just parts of these big sacred areas with all sorts of stuff. So same thing here at this temple. There's just a lot of religious buildings kind of clustered around the main temple. I want to go see Yogodo Hall. Yeah, that's a good one. That one's west of the main hall a little bit. And what, what can you find there? So all the people that are into the Zodiac signs might like this because there's eight Buddhas enshrined in the Yogoda Hall and each of them protects one or two animals of the Chinese Zodiac. So the Chinese Zodiac has a 12-year cycle and one animal that represents each year. So you can go and worship to the Buddha that's protecting the animal of your year. Nice. Yeah. Kind of a cool little thing. Mm Mm-hmm. A little bit past that, you're going to find the Awashimado Hall, which enshrines Awashima Myojin, a deity that bestows fertility, protects pregnant women, and, Paul, this deity also heals STDs. So if that's something that you need, be sure to stop there. I had not heard that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. A prominent building just south of there that I definitely saw when I was there, and I bet you did too, Paul is the five-storied pagoda. Can't miss it. Literally can't miss it. Yes, it's a really, really cool-looking pagoda, gotta say. Mm -hmm. First built in 1942. (laughs) Kind of a pattern there. Yeah, it's a national treasure that apparently houses some of Buddha's ashes that were given as a gift from the Royal Temple of Sri Lanka. I saw that too. Isn't that so cool? What a a nice gift to give. It's crazy. That's crazy. Pretty much as sacred as you can get, I would think, right? Yeah, seriously. Like, can't get more sacred than that. Pagodas are so cool, too. Uh, Near there, there's also Demboin, which includes the Kyakuden, which is a building the priests use to welcome guests. But there's a small library in there. But you can't go in unless you're invited. Uh, There's also a garden there that I think is close to the public. Right. But you can kind of see it and it looks cool. Yeah, it's closed off to 
the public because this is actually the head priest's official residence. And I also found some interesting stuff about uh, a place called Chingoto Hall. Did you see anything about this? No, I don't think so. You're going to like this, I think. So on Dembowin Street, just on the south edge of this area, there's this shrine called Chingoto Hall that enshrines Tanuki. What? Tanuki? Yeah. yeah. In the 1800s, the head priest that was living at Dembowin had a dream in which a Tanuki appeared to him and told him to build a shrine to them. And in exchange, they would keep Dembowin safe and guarantee prosperity. Okay. So okay. he did that. He built a shrine, and Dembowin and Chingoto Hall actually did survive the Great Kanto earthquake in 1923, as well as the air raids in World War II. So it sounds like the Tanuki kept their word. The Tanuki mean business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tanuki are not to be trifled with. We know the Tanuki can camouflage. They probably just made the buildings look like a bunch of trees or something. Yeah, like there's nothing worth bombing down there. <laughs> uh, and just a note, if you want to learn all about Tanuki, which you totally should, they're, they're fascinating, and the folklore behind them is hilarious and awesome. Check out episode 41. We did a whole episode about Tanuki. Yes, we did. Still one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Tanuki are wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. So east of there, on the other side of the Nakamise, you're going to find Bentendo Hall, which houses a statue of Benzaiten, a.k.a. Benten, the sea goddess. There's a famous bell in Bentendo Hall that local residents call the Time Bell. I'm not sure why, though, but it's f- in a famous haiku poem, too. Time Bell, that reminds me of Kawagoe. They have Toki no Kane, which is, I mean, it translates to Bell of Time. Mm. Remember, there's that big, uh, they have like a bell tower, and it, yeah. they ring it at certain times of the day to uh, tell you what time it is. Yeah, that's probably what it's from. They ring at noon or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we all know what time it is. Uh, there's a, we talked about a couple gates already, but there is another gate, Nitenmon Gate which was originally built in 1618 to protect Toshogu Shrine. So there's a whole lot to look at around the temple. Be sure to wander around a bit, see what you can find. So Sensoji is also the focus of Tokyo's largest, most popular, and wildest festival, Sanja Matsuri. It's held in honor of those three guys that established Sensoji, the two fishermen brothers and the village chief. Yeah, it usually takes place over the third full weekend in May, and nearly two million people visit Asakusa over the three days of the festival. It is a big thing. They actually close off the surrounding streets for most of the day, each of those days. So there's a lot going on, a whole lot of people. I saw that people are all dressed up. There's a lot of dancing and playing flutes and whistles and drums and chanting. Yeah. I got a little bit of a breakdown of the festivities. All right. A general plan for how it's going to go. So the festival begins Friday afternoon with Daigyoretsu Parade, a large procession of priests and city officials and geisha and musicians and dancers wearing Edo period costumes, parade around. 
I saw it's 19 blocks long, and the procession ends at Asakusa Shrine, which is a shrine right next to Sensoji, and it's actually a shrine for those three guys. The fishermen and the village chief are enshrined there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they hold a little ceremony at the shrine at the end of the parade and pray for an abundant harvest and prosperity. And also on Friday, they start bringing out the first of the Mikoshi, the portable shrines that they can carry around to house the deities. And these come out in all of Asakusa's local neighborhoods, and they're carried through the streets accompanied by musicians playing Japanese flutes and drums. So what happens on Saturday then? What I saw is that on Saturday, there are going to be about 100 Mikoshi from the 44 Asakusa districts that are all going to gather at that Thunder Gate, the Kaminarimon, and then they make their way down the Nakamise and on to Asakusa Shrine where they are blessed by the priests there. Mm-hmm. So once they're blessed, they go back to their neighborhoods and they spread the luck around. That's cool. Sounds like a very community-based thing, I guess. Brings in every, all the neighborhoods around Asakusa. Yeah, gets everyone involved. It's pretty cool. Sunday is the final day at the big event. At 6 a.m., that big event starts, right? Yep. This is where it becomes like controlled chaos. This is the part I want to see. <laughs> so hundreds of revelers grouped up by neighborhood wearing matching festival outfits, gather, and they all vie to carry one of the three main Mikoshi of the shrine. And who's in these three main Mikoshi? <laughs> our, our, three, our three lovable dudes. Yep, the bros and the village chief. So they competed, all these guys competitively jostle to be like, I'm going to get under there and carry this huge thing. And like, it's very prideful if you get to carry it around. Mm. But uh, so they don't let spectators get too close because it's a little bit rowdy inside. But uh, they spend a couple hours and they head off in different directions and they go through every district in Asakusa. So every single district gets to have one of the main Mikoshi head through it. Nice. I saw that they basically spend all day out there, these Mikoshi. I bet, I bet. And they don't return until eight at night. So 14 hours. They're just, yeah. that's a busy day for these. Yeah. Uh, for these. Everywhere they comments. go, it's just a parade and everybody's celebrating and there's mm-hmm. music and dancing. and Seems like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most festivals in Japan, of course, there are going to be tons of food stands around. Uh, the shops on the Nakamise Dori will be open as well. You can get all your souvenirs there. I also heard that there are Yakuza around that like to show off their tattoos. I saw a couple pictures of that. Yeah? Yeah. I would be really interested to see that. Yeah. See a bunch of those giant tattoos in in person. Those tattoos do look pretty cool. Yeah. We did a whole episode about them. Yeah. I don't have the episode number here, though. Irezumi. Dropping the ball. (laughs) It's all right. You're so good with that, usually. So it sounds like a fun festival. And there are actually various other events held at the temple throughout the year, if you can't make it to this specific one. So if you visit their website, you can see what's going on. They have a whole schedule to tell you when things are happening. Yeah. 
One event in particular caught my eye for its uniqueness. It's called Shiman Rokusen Nichi, or Day Worth 46,000 Wishes. It's uh, July 9th and 10th, and on these two days, prayers offered at Sensoji are 46,000 times as powerful as prayers offered on other days. Whoa. <laughs> I just love the randomness of that number. Why even bother on any other day? You right? Know? Don't even waste your time, guys. Just go on this one day, and you're making up for, like, lifetimes. You know, how many, how many years is that? Yeah, I've, a lot. So these two days also overlap with what is known as the Hozuki Market which is where they sell hozuki, which is lantern plants. Explain. Hozuki are plants that have been cultivated in Japan since the Edo period, used both for ornamental use because they look like paper lanterns, or at least the fruits of them do. Um, They've also been known to be used as a medicinal plant as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they look cool. So if you ever get a chance, take a look at them. So if you want to go visit the temple, because it's super cool and you should, the hours for the main hall are 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it's open every single day, all year, barring, of course, COVID restrictions or some natural disaster. And it is free admission. Yeah, and actually, you can get up to that main temple building or even wander around the temple grounds 24-7. Like there, there's nothing blocking it off. It's just that those doors on the main hall are going to be closed so you can't see inside. Yeah. But I mean, you can still wander around at night if you're not, you know, if you'd rather show up when there aren't many people around, you don't worry so much about like shopping on the shopping street. Yeah, you won't be able to get your little snacks on Nakabise. Yeah, most shops at the Nakamise are open from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. or somewhere around there. They're going to have different hours depending on the shop. But uh, like, if you do want to go and make sure you do hit those shops, it's probably best to go early before the, the crowds get in there. So like, be there when they open at 10. And as we said, quick walk from Asakusa Station, very easy to get to. Yeah, and if you're going in the evening... The temple stays lit up at night till 11 p.m. Mm. So you do have some time if you want to see it in the lights. I bet it's pretty all lit uh, up. It might be kind of cool to see it in the dark, too. Yeah, definitely. I think that's all I got, Paul. You got anything else? I think that's good. All I right. think I want to go back and see all those things I missed. Me too. Me too. Well, I'll definitely be posting the pictures that I do have on our Instagram. Check out at SJP Podcast is our username. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sightseeing Japan podcast. I know I have pictures of like the shopping street, the main hall, some of the other statues around there, that pagoda for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was nice. the first picture I ever posted on Instagram, actually, was that pagoda. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What are we talking about next time, Paul? The next episode is going to be a Halloween special. Woo! We're going, we're going to be telling Japanese horror stories. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be creepy. It's going to be crawly. It's going to be fun. Halloween is the best. So yeah, these are going to be like old, old stories, not like, you know, the grudge and the ring, not modern horror stories. We're talking old folklore, 
And I wouldn't even say all of it is like horror-y. Some of it is kind of just more like creepy and weird. Yeah, stories of the paranormal. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a really fun one. Definitely. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.